everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little else, Sam. Ah, tough shit, you got no choice. So grab a glass and sit back in your chair. Cause Uncorked is going live to Nerds of the world gather for here is another episode, Uncorked Whiskey Sessions. So here we are once again in the domains of our little offices remotely from the main building. It's another time for Uncorked, the Whiskey Sessions with me, Boutique Dave. And me, Dr. Whiskey. And there is some irony in that, Dave, that we were talking about the world of whiskey all locked in our little corners of the world. Yeah, well, I think the whole world is sort of locked in their corners of little little parts of the world because uh just just this afternoon i was talking to someone locked in their little room in taiwan and earlier this morning someone in china so um we're all this global network that we have on the interweb it's easy these days it is it's amazing we've had it in our pocket all this time it's good it's good that you're using it all right so here we are episode 14 batch 14 the rise of world whiskey and we have a couple of guests with us today um, should we? Well, I'm going to introduce Jenna Eli first. Um, I've just met Jenna today, although I have been following her on Twitter and uh, Instagram. So her bio, after falling head over heels in, for single malts four years ago, she jumped headfirst to learn all she could about whiskey and share it with people. She started the Whiskey A Go Girl just to do that and has had the pleasure of working with brands all over the globe. Now... Jenna works alongside the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society of America as an educator and ambassador and continues with her journey of learning all she can about the water of life. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We've all, I, I don't know if you know this, Jenny, but we've all taken a journey through the society. I know as a, as a member, of course, but also like I, I, I was an ambassador for the society years ago and the, the, the Malt Whiskey Society, if listeners don't know what that is, you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So we are essentially a, I'm going to try to put this in the shortest little blurb I can, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we're essentially a members only um, whiskey club that bottles single cask whiskeys from over 140 different distilleries around the world. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's been such a, a pleasure and honor to to work with the people that I get to work with in this company. Um, I actually worked with them a few years back and then took some time off to finish homeschooling my kiddo and uh, came back full time. And I'm in the best company I could ask for, especially with my colleagues here in the States. Um, they're some of the best people I know. So it's it's been a lot of fun to not only have access to, you know, whiskeys that I typically wouldn't have an opportunity to taste, um, especially in, in single cask form. Um, so I think as far as like the educational side of it goes, I've learned so much, you know, about whiskey in a, a big sense. And then also, you know, to teach my palate, it's been it's been a wild ride. So I'm happy to be here. Well, you're in good hands of the society. But speaking about knowing a lot about whiskey, we have another guest, don't we, Dave? We certainly do. We have the one and only Dominic Bosco, an award-winning writer, editor, consultant specializing in spirits, particularly whiskey. He has edited Whiskey Magazine, Whiskeria, Whiskey Quarterly, and several other drinks titles. He has written 16 books, and there's a few of them on my 
60. I've only got like four. You got 16 books. Sorry, continue. Wow. I haven't got all 16 of them here. He specializes in what he calls New World Whiskey. So that's what we're talking about. So Dominic seems perfect for this podcast Um, and was one of the first writers to report back on whiskey from as far afield as New Zealand and Australia to the south and Denmark, Iceland and Sweden in the north. He is a proud New Zealand citizen. And his passions include the All Blacks, which I know about, Leicester City, a season ticket holder, and heavy rock music. There goes the Richie Blackmore Rainbow and Deep Purple reference. <laughs> we got it all in there. Welcome, Dominic. Thank you for having me. And it's really nice, Sam. I didn't say uh, properly before. It's a real uh, pleasure to see you again. I, I think last time I saw you was on a boat in Sweden. Not sure. Um, well, we're, that's the kind of thing where you're trapped with a bunch of... <laughs> Yeah. Sweaty whiskey aficionados. It, it was very funny because they had all these brand ambassadors on who, who uh, on the Friday night were staying up very, very late, drinking loads and loads and loads, and then getting up on Saturday with the boat swaying, and they go back into Stockholm and get another load on board. And they had to do it on the second night, and some of them were looking rather grey, but they were, they were, they were, that was great. And I seem to remember you were there. Well, Dominic, I, I was there, but I was never drinking. I was only tasting. Yeah, I was nosing and tasting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so whiskey truly is a global thing. You said you mentioning Sweden. We've got Jenna come from the West Coast of the US, a passion for New Zealand whiskey, being a pioneer and discovering all these different things. Before we get to really diving into um, the phenomenon that is world whiskey, which sort of is a new phrase, it sounds crazy. I, I imagine in the 80s or 70s saying new world wines was equally strange coming off people's tongues. But that, this is this is where we are. The whole world who drinks Scotch whiskey, every, every country that, that imports it is now producing their own whiskey. But how did we get here? I think maybe let's start at the beginning. Maybe Dave can take us through a little bit of the, the history and then we can get to, to Dom. You talk about when you first started getting inklings that, you know what, these, these people around the world are producing whiskey uh, to the standard that we expect of this high-class uh, single malt Scotch whiskey. So, yeah, we, we, we seem to be in the middle of a whiskey boom, and it has gone global this time. The first whiskey boom being back in the 1880s that sort of came to a crash in the 1900s with the, with the Patterson crash. And Prohibition and Two World Wars put a paid to any new boom until the second boom in the 50s to the 70s, um, which went bust in the 80s as everyone was switching from brown to white spirits. And so are we in the middle of this new whiskey boom? I think we are. Uh, I blame Disco. The growth of whiskey production in the traditional markets has been pretty substantial over the recent years, with many of the traditional Scottish distilleries increasing their capacity significantly, like Glenfiddich, Glenlivet, Macallan, all making huge investments and increasing capacity. Um, I counted, I don't count, Ingvarond in, in does all the counting, but there are 30 Malt new distilleries opened in, September, in Scotland since 2005, and still more coming along every year with the rebirth of some... Famous names like Port Ellen, Rosebank and Brawler. Uh, Irish whiskey at the moment really hitting the headlines too from just five distilleries in 2010. I've included West Cork and Kilbegan who joined in 2004 and 2007. I last counted 24 in again in the Malt Whiskey Yearbook. Um, however, I saw something on Twitter just the other day, social media, Twitter or Instagram, probably Twitter because I live there. 30 or 33 distilleries in Ireland nowadays are just unbelievable. And while there have been small outposts of malt whiskey production around the globe for a long time, whiskey distilleries seem to be popping up all over the world now. 
And it, so it always fascinates me to read about the Murray Brewery in uh, Rawalpindi in Pakistan. I've never tried any Pakistanis whiskey, and I really want to. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so in Ingvaron's Malt Whiskey Yearbook, the roundup of malt whiskey distilleries published each October are the highlights this growth of world whiskey. So if I look back in my 2007 book, it's the earliest I go back to. Sadly, I haven't been able to get the other two. Um, it listed just 38 distilleries in here outside of Scotland and Ireland, so making malt whiskey. It didn't list the really Americans, I think. And last year's, there were just far too many to count. There, uh, but some growth highlights, I'm going to say. England went from 2 to 16 listed. Germany, 2 to 53. Uh, France, 2 to 34. Um, and then new distilleries from Denmark, Iceland, Italy, Liechtenstein, uh, the Netherlands, Israel, and Taiwan. Um, and while I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, as I think there would have been a few accidental omissions over the years, um, it is a clear indicator that the rise of whiskey production is a global phenomenon. Yes or no, Dominic? Oh, without, without a doubt. I, you know, I don't think it's any question. Those figures are quite interesting because... I think you said France from two to something. There were always three or four in France, but and the same with Germany. Germany, Germany's uh, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland are a bit odd because we, we'll talk later. I'm sure about what's happening now, but traditionally there were loads of distilleries in that part of the world that were making Genovas and um, brandies and uh, liqueurs, uh, fruit liqueurs, but they would put over some production to a whiskey once in a while, and they'd sell a barrel to their community and never did anything beyond, so nobody ever knew about them. But actually, Germany's always had quite a lot of distilleries trying to make just, uh, whiskey. They just didn't export it, and it wasn't very good. So so, so, so part of... Well, I, I, mean, I can tell... Yeah, fair, yeah. I, I mean, I've always been honest with this. I do a lot of work with the German, German distilleries. I'm in a partnership with Arthur Nagler, uh, who you'll know. And um, they're, they're, they're we can talk later about why they've changed. They've changed a lot. But the thing about the, the, those distilleries were they were trying to make whiskey um, the same way as they made brandy or fruit liqueurs, and it fruit didn't spirits, work. Yeah. It just didn't work. And I've always been incredibly honest about it. You know, when I say this is the most improved whiskey in the world, that's not necessarily a big compliment because they're coming from such a low base. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I, I went to Germany once. No, I'm not. I'm talking too much. But Betty, basically, yeah, it's definitely um, become. It's nearly impossible now not to find someone who's prepared to try and make whiskey. And and I'm sure you'll tell us, Jenna, that uh, America. You can't. I did a book called uh, Whiskey America, and by the time it published, it was completely out of date because the speed of new distilleries in America is it's just virtually impossible to fathom. It is. They're becoming like fast food joints here. It's like there's one on every corner. And um, it's both exciting and not at the same time. Um, you know, yeah, I, I've yeah. had many, you know, uh, American malts here that I've loved and I've been so impressed by. And then I've had some that I'm like, you know, honestly, we'll see how long this goes for and, and you know, where it goes. And uh, but uh, I think that's just kind of part of it. It's, you know, the ones that you know, are good enough to make it will, and the ones that don't, don't. 
So, I mean, you have people making whiskey in their garages, you know, like a good friend of ours built, he like built himself a little still and brought us like a sample of his like white dog and like an old like cinnamon jar. And I was like, okay, awesome. Like, I'll try it. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very good point. I mean, I've been to distilleries where they've had a, a more like a dustbin as a still. Yeah. It's like an R2D2 creation. And and the, the the thing that's really interesting is that the whole debate. I've written two books where I've actually had a chapter called "What is Craft?" because craft is not what these guys, some of these guys, are doing. They might be in a shed and they might feel all the criteria of small production, but actually, what they're making is trash. I mean, it's rubbish. And then you get a Diageo or a William Grant doing these fantastic uh, big production. Uh, whiskies, but the, or, or, all the American um, Kentucky dip, uh, bourbon distilleries, mm. and they're big scale, but they're still craft because they're making the whiskey to the quality. So craft can't be about size, and I think that's one of the things that's very interesting for this conversation is when do we stop encouraging bad whiskey? Bad whiskey is raw chicken. You know, you might like Kentucky Fried, I might like roast, but raw chicken is raw chicken. I knew you'd be a kick-ass guest. This is this is exactly because you're saying things that are not trendy and not uh, readily said. I mean, this I think challenging craft is one of the things uh, we hope to do in this conversation because it is it is interesting to me that you know mo- mo- we know with Scotch most most of the Scotch whiskey drunk around the world is drunk mixed. It's blended Scotch and it's consumed. Mix and single malt whiskerati. People who are members of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, like myself, you've heard. I've probably said it years ago, but you will have heard someone insist on, "Oh, it's got to be cast strength. It must be from a single barrel. Has to be non-chill filtered and has to be drunk in this kind of glass." And you know, don't put ice in it and don't add water. Or geez, a Coca-Cola. My goodness, which I, I highly recommend this Coke. Um, but, <laughs> but we don't. We're for our sponsors. Just kidding. But. Drink, drinking whiskey neat is not the norm. So drinking a crafted, a well-crafted, well-cared local produce, that is so niche. It fascinates me, as maybe one way into this conversation, it fascinates me that that's where the world whiskeys started. Rather than making, and I'm not talking about Canada and Japan and sort of that wave, um, but more recently, it's cutting into this premium um, proposition is where people started to want to play rather than trying to get into everyone's glass. People were very keen to make a small amount of, like you say, Dom, maybe not the nicest spirit to be consumed in a fancy glass once and that's it. So why? It seems like a misfire. Like why wouldn't you try to make Baines or a beautiful grain whiskey that can fit into every situation? Why did craft supersede everything? Is it Scotch's fault? Is it single malt's fault? I, I, I think that actually this, this is just, there's lots of aspects to this. But, but I think that the, the thing is that the reason that Scotland and Ireland and Kentucky are producing whiskies of the quality they are is because they've done it for decades and centuries. And, and you know, they, they, this is a lot of practice. And I don't think it's very, very easy to make. You can make gin because it's just a base spirit. You make vodka. But to make good whiskey is a—it's an absolute skill, and I think a lot of people. I, I have my own awards, my own world whiskey awards, and I have people entering and paying to enter, and sending me stuff that I, it's just undrinkable. <laughs> 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 you know, whiskey, and it must be nightmare. Must be nightmare for a bourbon producer. I know for a fact it is because I'm talking to Jimmy Russell, 
about the guys in New York who um, were drinking. Actually, to be fair, it's improved massively, so I won't say the name because it's got a William Grant link. But back in the day, (laughs) the whiskey that was going into New York was that was upsetting the old guys in Kentucky because they thought it was damaging the bourbon category. And there is always that danger. And this brings us on to the whole issue of transparency and labelling and what you call something. Because I actually have no problem with somebody inventing a new drink and adding, like, I'll tell you where the craft thing came from, really. It was American fault because you had the massive craft beer uh, uh, thing. It, people realised it could create jobs. It yes. could raise taxes. It was a, a point of interest. It, it renovated in the cities because a lot of those distillery, uh, sorry, breweries are in the heart of places like Portland and, uh, you know, and, and on we go. Seattle or maybe, but, but that word craft became associated. And some of those people then distilled their craft beer, but it wasn't whiskey because it had the hops in it. So, and that's nothing wrong with that, but as long as we're transparent about what we're doing. And I think that's, that's where, you know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that whole craft term can be attached to anything and people are going to want it. Like, oh, this craft pair of boots or this, you know, craft hairbrush or whatever you call it, that term craft, you know, my husband and I have had conversations about this, like at night, you know, until like two in the morning, like, how do you define craft? What is a craft distillery? What is a craft whiskey? Well, it's technically all a craft. Right. I mean, to, to just take that term and, and mm-hmm. use it to label something, you know, that automatically makes it good or it makes it better or you should buy it. Well, I think that's shit. But, you know, I just think that right. that term being attached to craft distillery or like you said, craft beer, like it doesn't automatically mean that it's going to be good. See, that word craft is very close to the word crap. <laughs> <laughs> you are a writer. Really you know, I've got a unique pair of boots, right? But the heel's falling off. But hey, I'm the only guy to have them. Right. They're craft. <laughs> but so then this frightens me a little bit because this means it was an economic decision rather than a culinary pursuit for flavor. So I, I don't think it's disingenuous, but I think it's worth talking about. So craft, let's, let's assume that craft brewing and small scale, not massive scale brewing was where this, this started in drink. Okay. Let's assume that. I think we kind of agreed that already. So there, so then if it starts there, craft beer is more expensive to buy for a consumer than Budweiser. Yeah. For, yeah. for me as well. Yes. To, to buy something that is, you know, more local or like we have some great, some great breweries here in LA and, um, you know, I, I pay it, you know, I will pay the price because I know that I know the product's actually good, whether or not it's a craft brewery or it's a craft beer, it's just a damn good beer. So I'm going to pay for it. Um, so that worked. So that succeeded, didn't it? I mean, that model then therefore did. worked. Oh, go Absolutely. ahead, Don. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be too negative about this because I say this, that if we, I, I don't know about in America, Jenna, but we have a lot of farms that have craft shops and you go in and they've made homemade jam and they've made uh, any number of homemade spirits, now normally a gin. And, and the thing is that we don't mind paying more because we assume we're getting natural ingredients and they're local and we're getting value for money. So cheap isn't the issue, it's value for money. So, so we all do that. So I'm not negative about the category at all. I just think that um, it's – and there are, so, there are so many great bits. I'm a member of a club and I get sent 12 cans of – a month of uh, world craft beers, and they've all gone back to tins now. And 
And I'm tasting beer for the first time in years. I drink cider normally, and I'm drinking beer for the first time in years, and it's excellent. A lot of IPA and bitter and grapefruity, and, and I love it. So I'm with you. I think that the big difference, though, is that I guess paying an extra pound or a couple of dollars for a beer isn't the same as paying an extra 20 or $30 for a whiskey that you have no idea whether it's going to be up to purpose or not. So part of it is an exchange of cash for quality, like you're saying. So you're exchanging something. There's a guarantee. There's an endorsement of quality because it is local, because it's smaller scale and in a way more controlled on a micro uh, level. Would that be fair? Yeah. Okay. And then so then what else, though? What what else has driven it? Because obviously this the world is drinking, let's say, single malt scotch whiskey more than ever before. You know, it's worth a fortune to the exchequer. It's a massive category in cultural influence as well as economically. Um, but there are many people across the U.S. I have a lot of friends who've started distilleries, um, who've turned their breweries into distilleries across the U.K., across Europe, who get funding very easily from people willing to invest in this. So where where's that leap coming from? Matt, you know, I think that it's, people who are just seeing that this market's totally exploded and they want to be a part of it. So it's, oh my gosh, you know, whiskey is the thing right now. Like, let me invest into this, you know, into my neighbor who has this brewery and wants to turn it into a distillery and I can invest in that. And then, you know, maybe I'm not super into whiskey or I don't really know much about it, but I know it's kind of the big thing right now. So I'm going to kind of dump my money in that and I'm helping my neighbor and, you know, I'll probably make some money off of it. So I think there is an element of that. So the feel good factor. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. I and, think and the economic return because the feel good. Yeah. Uh, of course. Of course. Cause I think it's, it's the thing right now and you know, you don't have to look far to see that, you know, there's, it's on the news. It's, you know, you see it in grocery stores. Like, you know, here I can go buy eggs, milk and whiskey on the same place. So it's freedom. You know, it's, right. Exactly. You know, it's <laughs> and on a Sunday. No, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's everywhere. So I think that's kind of the easy ticket, you know? I'd say there's a couple of other things as well. W one is the um, provenance thing that um, people are starting, like, like if you take, go back to the start of Swedish whiskey, which was Matt Myra, um, basically they, their whiskey was quite salty. And the reason for that was a lot of the peat they used had originally been under the Baltic Sea. So, so it's quite a salty peat. It's very different to a Scottish peat. And if you look at the difference between the sweet uh, peat of Isla, where, you, where you've got a lot of floral stuff. I mean, I met a guy on one of the islands who said he hadn't seen a tree till he was 12 years old. Because you don't get trees on the West Coast Islands because it's too windy. So, so, they, don't, so they have a lot of um, peat that's uh, floral. And then you go on the mainland, it's only 200 miles away. They have peat from the highlands, which is very rootsy and savoury because of all the trees. Mm. So imagine the difference between Australia flora and fauna and Sweden. And the Swedish palates, they, they preserve food over winter by salting it. And so therefore, saltiness is a, a Swedish taste. It's the same with drying their barley. They will use juniper because they smoke their, a lot of their food with juniper twigs. So... You immediately are getting people making a whiskey that is based on a Scotch formula, but it's actually using local provenance and, and, and uh, culinary skills to create something that suits the palate. And this is, was always my big argument. The reason that my awards did so well was because the only people judging world whiskey were putting them in a category called rest of the world after mm -hmm. Canada, Japan, Scotland, Ireland, and Kentucky – 
and they were comparing Australia to India and to Sweden, and they, these people were saying, hang on, they've got nothing in common with them. And not only that, we're not trying to taste like That's Scots. Fine. So when you're a Scotch expert and you taste our whiskey, you're going to say it doesn't taste like Scotch. But it's not meant to. And I think that's been a real driving force. I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing a, a, a huge amount of, uh, well, the beginning of, because it's years away till we know what we're talking about, but a certain regionalization of flavors based on different countries, just like Scotland had its regions. And the other thing I'd say about that is that what the Americans are particularly good at, I think, but it's happening all over the world, is innovation. And we're able to not be bound by, oh, we, I say that as if I'm a member of a new world order. Um, <laughs> we are going to take on Scotland. <laughs> we're with you, Dom. We're, with you. we're right behind you. But I work with people who are looking to, uh, from different countries, looking to create blended malts across uh, national boundaries. There in, in America, you've got people down in Santa Fe using bush twigs to dry the barley, um, and, and they're using, they're, they're starting to put uh, bourbon whiskey into other cars. There's an issue about transparency and whether you should call something bourbon finished in port, because that's a contradiction in terms. But the idea of playing with flavours, as long as it's transparent, that's what the game is. And, um, and Scotland and Ireland particularly are bound by their laws, and so you're getting all these people saying, hey, especially Australia, they're just going, hey, there's a statue. Why shouldn't I kick it down? You know, what, why shouldn't I knock down a statue? You, you're telling me these are the rules. Whose rules? Not ours. Yeah, it's been a huge growth of distilleries in Australia over the over the last ten years, hasn't it? I think I counted fifty-one distilleries in the in the yearbook this year. Last year, fifty-one distilleries in Australia. Well, I talked to I talked to Tim Duckett at Hartwood on Tasmania yesterday because he sent on a very interesting story about Australia having its Cardu moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it yesterday, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that if we want to later, but um, but it was, Absolutely. A, it was a very, very good article written by a blogger down, Andrew Durbridge, who's just out there when it comes to Australian whiskey, he's the best, without part, without question. And he wrote it, and I'm, uh, I was really impressed with this article, but I rang Tim Duckett to talk to him about it. And he said that by the end of this year, there'll be 63 distilleries on Tasmania alone. Holy shit. I know. And you know what? I feel completely off the game. You know, I was thinking I was doing well, well, well seven French distilleries. There's 30-something. It's just, it's nuts. But there you are. I think people are seeing opportunity, not just commercially, but for all the right reasons, for the, uh, for, for the enjoyment of spirits. And, and it's fairly niche, but it's exciting. Has the SMWS bottled any Australian whiskies? I, I didn't... That's a good question. Not that I'm aware of. Right. right. At least... Not information that I've been privy to yet. No, no. But I am drinking an Australian whiskey. Oh, you've picked one up already, have you? Ah, I picked up a Dutch whiskey. The problem with oh. Australia, the, the problem with Australia in general, is that I remember being in Sydney and this guy looking, he said, look up there. He said, if that's the world, you can't even see Great Britain. You're over the top of the world. You see the world from UK being set, Matt-centric. But if you see the world from an Australian viewpoint, all you can see is Southeast Asia. And, and they said, why would we try and go past a huge market that loves whiskey and try and get it right next to our biggest rivals, Scotland and Ireland? And at a huge cost. So they, they don't really have much to spare, and they certainly don't think, think it's necessary and interest to bring it here. So that's why 
you know, Australia's doing really, really well, but I don't know how much of it we'll see. Although there's a new wave coming through and they are starting to. So. It's, it's started to show up more here in the States too. So just very little, at least in my local area, but uh, I'm which, definitely which, starting to see it. Jenna, which brands? Uh, so Starward is, I've seen pretty much in like the big shops. Like we have a small shop um, up the street and then kind of like a big box chain um that i've seen it at but that's all i've seen so yeah you see starwood starwood is, i don't know if you know but it's part of the diageo program diageo, yeah. diageo made huge mistakes when it came to vodka when it came to vodka they didn't really have a vodka and they tried to get into the market and and they, and they didn't so and same with bourbon actually same with american whiskey they eventually ended up with uh, um a bullet but they didn't really have a lot so when it came to the new wave of whiskey, they did the sensible thing of setting up a distill and and um, picking distilleries to run themselves and just helping them do it. And Star was one of them. Uh, there's one in Denmark that's the same, and um, you, you've got a couple in America. But basically, they've got Diageo marketing support, but they're being allowed to produce the way they want. But it means they have economies of scale too, so that's not a surprise. Sullivan's Cove has done very well too. I just asked because... It's funny how the other thing about the world of whiskey now is that you get little niches. So there's somebody might target LA. Yeah. You've suddenly got a brand in LA that's nowhere else in America, but it's come from India or Taiwan. And, uh, and, and you can, and that's how it used to be with blends. So it's really fascinating. Trying I was to about to up. say, yeah, it's not exactly new in whiskey, is it? It's, uh, that's how it was with blends as well, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. Yeah. So I, a lot of things you said there really stimulate my. Tiny little, tiny little whiskey mind. Um, but, you know, like you said, doing it for the right reasons. And that, that is great to hear. And we, we do see it being shipped, uh, whiskey being shipped from wherever it's from, being made in a local way, using local cow dung or make, tasting like salt licorice from Iceland or, or salt licorice from Sweden. Like you said, that salty character, making it true to, first of all, build a, build a community, um, a whiskey for the community around it. And that, that there is a parallel there with Scotch whiskey, you know, Scotch whiskey, single malt, I should say, um, really wasn't sold south of Hadrian's wall until relatively recently. You know, um, it was, it was a drink for wild Highlanders. It was wildly inconsistent. It had all the same reputations that a lot of craft distillers around the world have, that it's inconsistent, um, a bit rut, gut rot, too young, um, until blenders started to bring it together. So why haven't we seen that with world whiskeys? Do we have American blended whiskeys? I know it's not as a category. American blended is, is mixed with neutral grain spirit, but you know what I mean? Where we're taking the greatest Australian malts, mixing them together. Are people doing that? Yeah. Do you think we see an Australian blended whiskey, um, an Australian or, or, or an American blended whiskey or, you know, or a European or an English blend or, you know, is that something, collaboration between distilleries that we will see going well, forward? Well, it's that collaboration that let them rise up. That's exactly, thank you, Dave. That, that, that's sort of my point because what saved a lot, you, you said Cardumo, but what saved a lot of the great malt distilleries of Scotland was being affiliated with the great blending houses. So when the blends became global exports, these distilleries could had, had a, a root um, for for their wares, you know, there was there was somewhere further to go, and will all these craft distilleries survive without it? So, yeah, it's sort of that food of thought. Yeah. That's a great. I see. It. I see no, the no, hand no, gesture. That's a great question. The, the thing about it is, that what, what I mean, I don't know, Jenna. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that in America, they're starting to uh, 
starting to put blended and blended malts into the same category as blends. Has that happened in America? Um, you know, that's a good question. Not that I've really recognized or that's been, you know, super obvious to me. You mean within scotch or you mean within all whiskey? Sorry, John. I'm talking about scotch. So okay. the thing is, you'll have to talk about scotch when, when, when we're talking about single malts because Ireland will talk about blended, but it's, a, it's, it's not an insult or it's not a, a net... I'm not saying blended whiskey can't be great. It can be. Of course it can. But Ireland's blended whiskey is very different to what we do with single malts added to grain. And um, as you quite rightly said before, 90% of our whiskey sales are blended whiskies, and, and that's Scotland's thing. And it, and long will it remain so, because they're the best at it. But what I'm seeing, what I think I'm starting to see, and what I'm excited about, the two things that excited me about whiskey at the moment are, one, um, the innovative side, collaborations, and people uh, looking at playing with the rules and almost creating new drinks categories. And as long as they don't call them whiskey or they make it clear what they're doing, I'm in favour of that. And the other thing is when you start getting people, you know, I tasted this week a 30-year-old, no, sorry, 20-year-old gin. And and it's by a company called Macduff in Scotland. And they laid down, I said, why did you on earth, did you think to lay down gin 20 years ago? Because... Nobody was interested in gin, and nobody was interested. Why would you age something you could just sell? And yeah. and now that's interesting. But then I asked him, "Is that not what Geneva is? Isn't an aged gin Geneva?" And he didn't know. And I, and I just think this is great because we're out there on the front line. This is what we want to do. You know, it's exciting. We've got things to talk about. But but I I I think we'll start seeing lots of exciting blended malt projects. That break rules. Do you do you know um, uh, Isabel Graham Yule? Yes, she, she works with Sukinder and the Whiskey Exchange and the auction right. houses. Yeah, she she has one of the best palettes I've ever come across. I mean, in okay. terms of her, her knowledge, is phenomenal. Yeah. And she now works for an auction house. And I happened to tune in to an interview with her on Whiskey Lab, and she was talking about taking a very aged Ockhamtoshan. And adding twelve-year-old millstone from from the Netherlands to give this delicate Ockhamtonshire some body and weight. Now it's a very, very. I mean, and what you're doing. I, actually, I'm going to say this now. One, I think Scotch Malt Whiskey Society should get a massive pat on the back for being part of very much an institutionalised sort of Scotch industry back then, and having the guts to put different bottlings out that weren't just scotch. I thought that was amazing. And everything that you, you do as that boutique uh, whiskey company is just phenomenal. From the labels to playing with flavors to doing world blends, I think this is exactly, I think it's exactly where we're going. And um, and this is what uh, uh, Isabel was saying. She was putting 12-year-old Dutch whiskey into an aged Orkentushan. Wow. But she'll have done it in such a way that it would have tasted absolutely brilliant. And one of the people who liked her comments, there were only four of us watching, it's one of those, but one of, <laughs> one of them is Nick Morgan from Diasia. And he gave it a thumbs up and said, Isabel's being modest about her comment. So. Yeah, Nick's very lonely these days, though, so it doesn't take much to. It's, it's a, <laughs> we're all lonely. Yeah, it's just so true. The band, the band's trying. It doesn't work in the digital age. I'm, I'm telling you, it's just not the same. You told me what to think about that. 
Well, I was one of the four on that call too. And that is, that is an interesting thing. And viewing, viewing whiskey as flavor, Jenna, you were going to pipe in earlier when we were discussing sort of the, the, the forward movement of sort of a, maybe companies being interreliant. I thought. You yeah. Were, you know. Well, I mean, I think you can look at that in two ways, you know, like Dom said, like that's the direction we're going in where the focus is on flavor and it's not so much, well, I only drink single malt from so-and-so and it has to be at least this, you know, many years, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but have companies gotten desperate enough to rely on other people to like save their asses? I don't know. So there's I mean, a pride thing there, isn't there? It could be. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's, there's multiple ways to look at that, but, um, do you think from, and this is just a question for all of you guys, um, just to see where you stand on this. Do you think from a consumer perspective, we're getting to a point to where the focus is really just on flavor? Or do all of those little details still matter, like the name and where it's from and how old it is and what type of cask it was in? Or do you believe that, you know, we have so many enthusiasts or people who really, truly love the product that we're just focusing on flavor at this point? Or will we get to that point? I do. I do hope so that we get to that point. I mean, at the moment, all I, nearly always is I'm asked is what cask was it in? You know, can you tell me what cask it is? I'm drinking it. It's lovely. What cask was it in? Well, does it matter? Because you enjoy it. You're, you're, do you enjoy it? Are you tasting it? Yes. Do you drink? Ah, it's lovely. What cask is it in? If it I said it was a urinal cask, like it was, it's a cask that people <laughs> used to piss in in a traditional pub, would you not like it anymore? That's I got I got an email like that today from a colleague in Australia, Dave, and I, I, I absolutely agree. Jenna, to your question, if I my one thing on that is you, you you said, will we dismiss provenance? You didn't use that word, but will will all those different things matter? And I think way too often we do dismiss like a brand name as simple marketing, but the brand name is the connection we have to the source. And yes, they might be established, but a trusted brand name is absolutely invaluable. More trusted than a man with a beard and britches. <laughs> Definitely more trusted than a man with a beard. <laughs> Peter Bignall. I'm not wearing bridges. <laughs> you can't tell anything below the waist is free. <laughs> Peter who? Peter, Peter Bignall from Belgrove Distillery on Tasmania collected all the uh, spittoons of beer from oh, beer tasting and distilled <laughs> it to make the whiskey. I know. We're bottling one in three months. Right, right. Is that legal? Actually, <laughs> although it sounds horrific, obviously the distillation process means that you separate everything like that out. So actually it's not. And he said it was delicious. Now, only an Australian could do that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they sent you to jail in America if you did that. <laughs> I'm with Dave on this. I think, I think, I think, I think we're a lot more canny. You know, I think that with all the people like yourselves online and all the chat, you can't pull the wool over uh, an enthusiast's eyes in the same way. No, you know, good is good. But this generation who are internet savvy, who don't need Dominic Roscoe writing a book, they need each other, and they chat, and they go online, and they've um, rediscovered whiskey for themselves. It's, they've taken it away from our generation and brought it into theirs. I don't know how old it's, I'm talking about me. But they brought it back to themselves, and as a result of that, uh, I think they're consumer savvy. And I think in that case, flavor's massive. I think they really, you know, if somebody said, "Oh, I've just, I've just had this world whiskey. It's a blend from that booty whiskey company, and it's just great," which it is, by the way. Um, that 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 will that's enough. 
now. I think, you know, gone are the days when we we had to rely on national advertising and, and big budgets, etc. you know. Yeah, but fuck, that feels dangerous, doesn't it? Because, Dom, if that, if that, let's say that plays out even in just Scotland or just pick one country and that plays out, let's say just America, and we end up with it's flavor-driven, the peachy style, the tobacco style, the woody style, and the fresh, bright style. We don't need all the distilleries then. You end up just needing one workhorse oh, who no, produces those styles. no, 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 that's not styles. what I meant at all. No, 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 no. I'm talking about individual bottling, whether it's a peachy whiskey or a good If somebody comes up with a whiskey... Like, I, I, I'll give an example. I quite like New Holland whiskey, right? It's an American single malt. It's basically been made with um, malted barley, but it's been matured in virgin, I think virgin, bur- uh, no, ex-bourbon gas. So you get the vanillas and all the sweetness of a, of a bourbon, but you get all the richness and, and depth and spice of, of a single malt whiskey. Now, that's me. is a new taste, and it's great, so it doesn't fall into that category. That's not what I'm talking about. The gin I tasted the other day, 20-odd gin, tasted like nothing I've ever tasted. So I don't think it's a case of saying, oh, it's a peated whiskey, it's a spicy whiskey. I don't think that's what I mean at all. I mean, individually, it, are all your all the things that you look for in a spirit being ticked off by this particular product? And I think people are a lot more open to buy. And that's where we get for world whiskey. Who would have thought that you would get a world-class rye uh, from from the Netherlands. Oh God, it's, it's one of the best whiskies in the world, I think. Well, I, I I actually bottled some. I had a little company called Discovery Road. I'm a really bad businessman. I nearly bankrupt. Well, I just about did bankrupt myself. Um, but I, <laughs> you know, people still talk about my rice smile. Yeah, it was good. Oh yeah, yeah. It was very good. And it was from Millstone. That's why I did it. Mm. And and you know you and it's the same. I sometimes I'm very fortunate. I live five miles away from the English distillery in St George's. I'm just drinking a Millstone right now, Dom. Are you? Aye. We've just bought. This is our first batch. It's a six-year-old. We've just bottled another batch, which is a four-year-old Millstone. See, and that's another thing. Age. See, I think age has become increasingly relevant. I think Scotland really, when they started putting out uh, non-estate whiskies that were raw chicken. Because some of the stuff you buy in a supermarket, they're just not fit for purpose, really. Mm. And they'll tell people who know about whiskey, oh, they're not aimed at you. They're aimed at entry-level people. You think, you mean people who don't know any better? That's a ridiculous comment. But as soon as you come under 10 years with Scotch whiskey, you're in danger of being outperformed by world whiskey, which matures at different rates, like Australia, Mm. like India, like Taiwan. And frankly, Scotland doesn't want to go there. I don't think. And, and as a result, age has become much less important because as, as the English distiller here uh, said to me, Andrew Nelstrop said to me not long ago, every time Scotland leaves an age off a bottle, it makes my job a lot easier. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Because you're right, you talk about oh, what castles it in, but age, you know, if I, when I used to work in a whiskey shop, if an Indian customer came in, I just knew the first thing he was going to ask me was how old was the whiskey? Because that's the... In India, quite rightly, um, there's a lot of forgery and stuff like that. Being a genuine bottle of 12-year-old Johnny Walker is incredibly important to an Indian drinker. So, but that's changing. I think it's changing massively. Yeah, I remember when I first got into whiskey, and I knew absolutely nothing. Like, nothing at all. I couldn't even tell you what whiskey was. You know, I just knew that I liked the way that this Macallan 18 tasted, and I had to know more about it. You know, so if somebody handed me a four-year-old whiskey or a seven-year-old scotch, I'd be like, 
that's so young. I can't drink that. That's going to taste like, you know, toilet water. Like what the hell are you thinking? You know, but now I find myself, you know, going for those younger whiskeys just because they have so much character. And, you know, now that I, I obviously know a little bit more than I did, you know, four years ago, it's, it's able to really dissect these whiskeys that are so bold in character. And I think there are so many beautiful whiskeys mm. out there that are under the age of 10. Mm. Um, ones that I've been really blown away by. I mean, I had, you know, one recently that I bought multiple bottles of because I was just so blown away and it's like eight years old and I think it's great. And, you know, a lot of the whiskeys like in Texas, it doesn't take long to age whiskey there just because it's so bloody hot. And, uh, those whiskeys are beautiful. So I can agree with you on that, that, you know, while to many ages important, but I don't think it is the most important factor. And I feel like the importance of that factor is definitely, you know, diminishing, becoming, you know, much smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, it can even happen in Scotland. I mean, when I first started in this job, uh, Kinder Singh said, let's go out for a few beers and a curry. He said, but on, on the way to doing that, he said, come into, I'll show you my warehouse. And you're, you go into Aladdin's cake. He's got everything. You know, the you whiskey exchange to Kinder and his brother Raj Beer on the whiskey exchange. Yep, yeah, go ahead. I'll explain that. So this guy, for many, many years, has been absolutely at the front of the game. And he said, he said, what would you like to drink? He said, before you start coming up with a 25-year-old this or 30-year-old this, have, have this, because I know you like the peaty whiskey. And he got this peaty whiskey, and it was like, I've described it as like, uh, 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 you can imagine a schoolroom, the teacher's gone out, and all the kids are throwing desks around and throwing, and the whole thing's kicking off. Well, that's what it was like in your mouth. This thing was unbelievable. <laughs> and it was, it was um, a four-year-old juror. That had been bottled for Australia, but he kept, so I don't know why they'd done it, but way before Jura did Peter Whiskey. They just didn't. Wow. And this was a four-year-old Jura, and it's as good, i never forget that occasion, it's as good a Peter Whiskey as I've had, so wow. four years old. And Pete actually benefits, there's a whole debate on, you know, Pete can actually benefit from youth. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you, but, but, but that was a big mindset. This has all happened in a very recent period of time. Thanks to guys like, you know, well, you too, all of, all of these people in there. <laughs> but you've done that. You, you've actually challenged the rules, and it's, and it's great. Well, the independent so, bottlers is a Scottish tradition, but it is truly becoming global now. Yeah, we and, we and certainly would like to think that we're one of the leaders of bringing New World Whiskey to the audience as an independent bottler. And I knew it was, you know, I knew it's something that the... Um, SMWS have been doing and it's been you know it started with the Japanese whiskies it was always scotch when I first joined and then the Japanese whiskies started coming and then you see the Welsh whiskey and I've seen English and I remember the Paul John cast samples being bought in um, to the SMWS before they bottled their first Indian whiskey I think it was I think Paul John was their first Indian whiskey I'm not sure whether they bottled some Amlet as well but um yeah, I, yeah. I, in that, but pretty sure. Yeah, I, I remember tasting the car samples before the SMW. I was in just in the right place at the right time as a whiskey blogger <laughs> uh, before I moved across. Yeah, um, just got invited in to the SMWS while uh, Paul John were making a presentation. But um, yeah, we, we we like to think that we are sort of. I think our first ever whiskey was in two, first non-scotch we bottled was in 2014 so we were only a two-year-old company when we decided that we would bottle a non-scotch but we've certainly gone on to bottle whiskey from all around the globe now and I think we just added a Welsh whiskey which I'm very 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 happy about having a Welsh whiskey I know um, we talked about the SMWS 
purple. I'm sure it's called Purple Prince, the podcast one that Dominic was ranting about mm. a little while ago. It's it is it was a stunning, stunning whiskey. Well, you've been talking about World Series all week, haven't you? I, I I'm in the middle of a World Series. Yeah, I've been talking about World Series. World Series, it's right in front of. I don't know. You can't see it actually, but oh, it's right in front of. <laughs> I can't miss it because we've just launched nine new whiskies. Um, single malts, all single malts, aren't they? Absolutely, everyone's a single malt from five new cunt labels. So, a German single malt, uh, an American single malt from Copper Works, who Virgin Oak, they were in Virgin Oak um, in Seattle. Uh, our first ever Welsh whiskey, our first ever Taiwanese, my first ever Nantu. I've never tasted Nantu before, you know, I've heard about it, but I've never come across any of their whiskies before. Um, and our first ever French uh, single malt, which, um, although I had tasted Amorek and was a bit of a fan of what they were doing. Um, it's the first boutique bottling with a French flag on, so that's really kind of cool as well. Do you feel like, I don't know in like your parts of the world, but do you feel like world whiskey is still, a, it's like in its infancy as far as like, from like a consumer standpoint? It's like when I, I just talk about whiskey, I'm just with friends or, you know, strangers or really we're all friends when we're drinking whiskey. But, you know, when... <laughs> When you're just talking about, oh, I had this Australian whiskey or this South African whiskey, like, do you kind of get people are like, well, what? Like, whiskey can't come from those places. Like, do you still feel like that's kind of the mindset that, like, whiskey well, we, just means from Scotland? We used to hear a lot, Dave and Dom, you're, I'm, people used to, used to hear it a lot. Oh, the Japanese are making scotch now. Mm, yeah. I think, yeah. so in fairness, <laughs> I think that's less than it used to be, Jen. At least people I tend to be around. And that, that goes from t- total novices who know nothing to, yeah. to total geeks, but things like the society and things like boutique, it's, it's sort of their responsibility to expose the already exposed to whiskey to these new frontiers. And then hopefully that permeates more widely. Yeah. We took uh, our, our three ships bottling to Vegas last year to the Nth whiskey festival. And so many people were coming up and said, I didn't even know South Africa made whiskey. Well, you wouldn't because it never really left the shores. It was very little of it left the shores. I and mean, a little bit came over to the UK a few years ago, three, just a few bottles of 10-year-old free ships. Um, and then you see their Baines has been starting to make an impact over here. But, yeah, nobody knew about it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is, you know, the independent bottler's job to, to you know, we don't make whiskey we, we're just passionate about it. We don't actually make it, but we're passionate about yeah. it. So finding it and bottling it and doing these deals with these different companies around the world, it's certainly part of my job as I'm talking about boutique whiskey in different countries and then meeting another distiller and actually, what are you doing? Uh, oh, this is good. Do you want to, you know, can yeah. we talk? You know, so I think I think it's a responsibility as an independent bottler we should jump on because it, it, we- it is just opening that market up. Would we know Mortlock or Linkwood or Klein Leach if it weren't for the society? I certainly wouldn't. The, the society introduced me to all those things and Gordon McPhail and everything. Yeah. But yeah, so go ahead, John. Yeah. That's how I feel too, is that I've been exposed to so many things that I feel like, you know, if I wasn't in this position, I would have never been exposed to. And that that's like such a huge, you know, chunk of education that I'd be missing out on and experience that I would be missing out on. So I agree with you, you know, as far as like the independent bottling perspective is, you know, we really have like the honor of taking the best of everything and then going out there and sharing that with people. And that's like the coolest thing in the world to me. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, to go back to that point about whether where we are with it, I think that what we have to accept is we're in a huge period of transition. I still think I'm the luckiest bloke in the world. I, I'm, I made my, um, I, I, I started off as a music journalist. And, and then I became a whiskey writer. So I've spent my entire career staying in hotels and being at the very late night whiskey. That's all I've done. And Good luck in the post-COVID <laughs> world, but anyway. But in, in, in this time, in this time, when I became editor of Whiskey Magazine, and I was the same as you, I knew nothing, but I had great people around me. And then you go out into the industry and meet amazing people who are just nice. And they think that you're doing them a favor. And I, I describe myself as like one of those little fish that feeds off the back of a great white shark. And the great white shark is the industry with all the great distillers. And it's the, it's the beast. It's the impressive thing. And all I'm doing is going along with the ride and feeding off it. And, and I do believe that. I think I've, I've just had this incredibly lucky time. But this conversion. So what we've still got. So when you talk about the Ench show, these people in Las Vegas are paying a fortune to be there. And they want to see Dr. Bill Lunsford and Richard Patterson and Dr. Sam Simmons. They're not necessarily interested in, um, I don't know, Cavalan, et cetera, because they're still at the mindset that they're not quite sure women should be allowed in golf clubs yet. There is still uh, a very old-fashioned, old scotch is the only whiskey you cut. My mother, she wouldn't accept the Japanese could even make whiskey, and that, that was after 100 years of making it. Uh, so for yeah. um, anybody from, I don't know, uh, Hobart, or, you know, Copenhagen to, it's our generation, well, I say our generation, it's, it's, I, I feel I was a part of a movement that's taken off. And I think we're now at the end of stage when I, it's very interesting that this year we, we, I've just had that, um, article about the, uh, Australian controversy over the labeling of Lark in Australia, which is this week. But Bill Lark's daughter, Christy, has entered my awards. And that's a generational thing. So I think that we're now at the start of stage two. I think we're at the end of stage one. I think World Whiskey has established itself, but we're only at the beginning of the journey of where it goes. And it's got decades yeah. to go. We're still, drink, we're still bigots of drinking, but there's still lots to go. Yeah, I think that's... I, I, I'd say the Nth show last year, I, I, I was under that impression that it was, you know, that, that, that old school of whiskey show. But we took a young selection of whiskeys. Um, including the six-year-old South African, and we were swamped all weekend for it. Yeah, and there was a lot of interest in what we were doing. Anyway, Whiskey and Wisdom to- is the website that Dom was wrenching. If anyone wants to find that article, it's called Australian Whiskey Has Its Cardu Moment. That's C-A-R-D-H-U, Whiskey and Wisdom, awesome website, awesome guy. Yeah. Right, it's time to um, do some stupidity, I think. Yay, stupid games. You guys, if you've ever suffered through one of these episodes or through an afternoon tea that we do, you know a dumb game is about to hit you. Hit us, Dave. Okay, we are going to hit a dumb game, and it is called Batch Phrase. You shall be seeing this shortly. Um, (laughs) A World Series Edition. Okay, Um, what does Batch Phrase mean again? Well, these are dreadful. (laughs) Um, they are highly tenuous and extremely shit. So if you can work out the distillery from the picture, um, point. So what we need is Give a buzzer. Exam. Oh, yeah, we, we buzz in. Bu- we need a buzzer. So there's our we buzzer. buzz in by have pulling a cork, everyone. So if, if you get, that's how you buzz in, like, ding. So if you have a bottle nearby. Have you got a bottle ready to buzz in? Oh, no, that's, that's not a good one. one. Rect- 
Stick it upside down. Interestingly empty. Oh. Dom, can I ask, did you drink that straight or neat, or how did you enjoy oh, it? Oh, I only drink whiskey with a tiny bit of water. Uh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not precious about it, Sam, at all. And I may, you know, I'm meant to be the Liam Gallagher of whiskey, so I'm meant to be a bit rock and roll. Uh, that Dave Broom told me that, and it was an insult, yeah, but I, I took it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because, but but I just happen, I happen to add whiskey, I happen to add nothing to whiskey, except for I like whiskey at 46%, so I can bring it down to 43 Mm. With a bit of water, just to yeah. open it out, but that's the only way I'll drink it. Nothing else. And even in Kentucky, in the height of summer, I will drink with ice. But to me, tasting a drink with ice in every time you taste it, it's like the Gold Coast of Mood because more of the uh, spirit has got water in it, so it changes in flavour. And I hate that. I am a Mister Consistency guy. You know, I, there's a great, there's a great Belgian whiskey. and you have to add so much water to it, you get down to about the strength of 46%, which is where it's bottled elsewhere. So I've not quite worked out what the point of that is. What the point of that is, yeah. Yeah. Right. Have you got a buzzer, though? I'm I'm not lying. That went all into me. So well, we're a whiskey blend. That's a nice plug. Thanks, buddy. And it probably probably sounds good empty. Let's hear how that sounds. Yeah, okay. His mic is a bit quieter than everyone's. So here we are. This is a highly tenuous and extremely shit, as you can see. Um, you work out the distillery from the pitcher. So it's like um, whiskey mixers that we play sometimes. But um, here we go. So here we go. Our first picture lady, is lady Burn. a little old lady um, with her coat and her handbag in a bath. Told. So, Old Stumpy, old Putney, old, old. And I think the clue. Grand old par? The clue was World Series. But you didn't talk about it, so I don't think any listeners know what we're talking about. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Okay, that was it. That was it. Wait, um, what's the Tau, though? Tau, Nantau, or the Tau? Nantau. Tau, Nantau. I get it. Okay. Okay, this. This is how silly it is, okay? It is yeah. just all a giggle. Okay, it was Nantau. Okay, the next one the mo- is... The more shit, the better, Dom. Don't worry. Oh. Lang. Say it. How did they... It's catchphrase, isn't it? Is it catchphrase? Say what you see. L's uh, burning. L. L's... Help. Uh... Uh, yes, Sam. L's burn. It absolutely is, of course. Yay, Glen L's, L's burn oh, distillery. <laughs> You're right, these are shit, delicious. and I love them. Oh, we've lost Dom. Oh, we got two of them now. This is fat. This I don't know how this is going to play in the visual content, but this is going to be great. There's a frozen image of you. Hi, Dom. <laughs> I'm back. Well, th- I guess the phone died. Yeah, am I back there yet? Yeah, we're yeah, with we you. Yeah, no you. problem at all. It's that okay. We've been going about an hour, so that's perfect, and uh, that's about as long as I could listen to us and as any of our <laughs> listeners could. So, this is uh, we're just in the middle of this game. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, it was old, but okay. Here we have a windmill and lifting rocks. Um, Bill Stone. Who shouted out Millstone? 
Where's your balls? Where's your balls? I'm not. I'm not. I've lost my. I've lost my iPad. But I am recording. The iPads in the. The iPads in the oven with the computer. Let me out of the closet. I can see you. Okay, we got you, Dom. We got you. It was indeed Millstone. You are correct. Okay, yeah, I. Okay, I like this one. This is clever. We have a a copper still with a big tick to a glass of whiskey, and then we have a grey still, like a stainless still with a cross against it. I like this a lot. It is. You can't see it. So we've got a copper still at the top to a, a glass of whiskey with a big tick and then we've got a stainless steel still down below with a big cross. Copper work! Copper work! Second too late, Jen, I heard that. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I'm pretty sure, but... <laughs> I like this one. That's my favourite one of the lot, that is, yeah. I know John has created these for us and um, it's a lot of fun. Right, the next one. Oh, we have as your laptop, <laughs> and it's not in the oven. What, what happened to your laptop, Dom? That's oh, Jenna. No, Jen, Jenna's buzzing. Is it Mac Myra? Oh, well done. Oh, yeah. In the mirror. Yeah, nice. Mac in the mirror. It wasn't Mac in the Mac mirror. Mac mirror. Mac mirror. Is it the Mac mirror whiskey? It's a Mac mirror. <laughs> oh, this is funny. That's John Minter who makes these for us. Poor bastard. So listen to this and try to edit it. He's a guy who tries to cobble all this together and make That's sense right. out of it. So it's John, and he looks like he's been tug of pulled. tug of John, tug of John. Oh, is it John Paul? <laughs> Paul John. <laughs> we'll give it to Dom. Dom got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he, he did warn us that they were shite. Oh, they're um, sh but the, the, sh the more shit they are, the better. The funny they are. Okay, this one here. Jet. I've got a jet with a ton weight on the top of it. And it is in our World Series whiskeys. Yeah, but these guys might not have heard about it. We're a small boutique brand. How the hell do they know? I haven't got a clue. Well, Dom's a world, world whiskey I expert. Know. He knows where whiskey all of these around the world. I've got little bottles in front of me that you sent me. <laughs> Don't feel left out on that, Jen. It's hard to ship to the US, as you know. Uh, Tunjet. Tunjet. What are the other bottles? What are this is a tough one. Doing? I didn't get this one at all. Uh, it's a... It's, yeah. I'm going to tell you it's a Swiss a... whiskey. It's a Swiss Learjet. Oh. Laying a ton? All right, there we go. We go. Oh, oh, sorry. There you go. We've lost the one. What's the oh, lane, it's... though? Is that, that That's a What's... type of plane? I don't know. Is it a Swiss Learjet? I don't know. Is it a Swiss jet? Is it a Swiss aviation? I have no idea. Dominic's gone on um, rock and roll mode and he's headbanging now. That's so cool, yeah. though. I think it's wicked. It's Stroll <laughs> Dom. Mosh pit Dom. Yes. <laughs> Are you still with us, Dom? Well, that's it. Thank you very much for playing our very, very shite game. Oh, there I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hiding. Peekaboo. Peekaboo, Dom. 
Dom, what's happening? What are you doing? Dom, are they normally like this? We're not normally like this, no. It's just you, Dom. Oh, okay. <laughs> what's happened to you? You mean are the game's always this shit? Yes, I promise. Yeah, yes. I'm smashing the pan. <laughs> I faded. Well, we do want to have you again. I, I, I think that game was fun. I think we could have talked probably twice as long as we did, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. I think just because the interest of time, let's move it along. But let, let's have you all on again. And we'll, I hope to see you in person soon and pour a whiskey from a bottle years. that we can share. <laughs> yeah. Dominic, are you still there? Actually, Dominic, I saw a fucking... Before, you, saw before a... you go, before you go, where should we... What, what's your tip for looking at for New World Whiskey? Where should we be looking at as a country? Where do you think is somewhere we should... I firmly believe... Yeah, so, so let me just tell you very quickly the background to this. I told you earlier that the Germanic countries either produced too little to bother exporting, or it wasn't very good, or they were German and they didn't know how to translate their whiskey story into English for English-speaking countries. So Arthur and I, it's a bit of a plug this, Arthur and I um, have been working together for the last couple of years What's happened in those areas is that some of these producers uh, are Flashing doing other things, like Fanner, P-F-A-N-N-E-R. They're doing fruit juices all over the world. They're huge. So when they invested in a micro distillery, it was a proper state-of-the-art micro distillery. And one of the big things that changed in the Germanic countries, and I'm talking Liechtenstein, very northern Italy, Puneyai, uh, Austria, Switzerland, southern Germany. What they're all doing is they're producing whiskey because they've learned how to do it through Arthur. So he's educated them. That's what he does. And a lot of their whiskey's now about four years old. It's beautifully packaged. It's just starting to knock on the door outside Germany. But the, one of the things I'm, I'm working with Arthur on is for him to translate the German story need to polish it up into respectable English as opposed to Germanic English and starting to bring some of these brands to market. Maybe we should have a chat. But um, I'm really excited about some of the stuff coming out of Austria, Germany and Switzerland particularly. Perfect. Well, Jenna, before we put the same question to you, I want to remind listeners that we also have been, since lockdown, have been doing these uh, podcasts with some video as well. So you can find Uncorked Whiskey Sessions. You have got to tune in to uh, maybe from 50 minutes to see the game and to see Dom flashing in and out because it is some of the best television I've seen all week. <laughs> Sorry, Jenna, over to you. What, same question to you that Dave asked. You know, I, that's a good question. I, we have a lot of great distilleries here in the States that I'm, I'm really just really excited for. I, I have to, to give a, a big, you know, round of applause to Woodenville up in Washington. I think that they are putting out some just absolutely beautiful whiskey. Their rye whiskey has just totally got me hook, line, and sinker. It is just one of the most beautiful, just, you know, whiskeys I've ever tasted. Um, so I'm really excited to see, you know, specifically more from them but um i don't know there's little distilleries popping up i know there's one that is trying to get started over in the faroe islands which you know i've never had anything from the faroe islands i've never even been there so it's it's kind of exciting you know as far as innovation goes to just see places at least try you have to at least try you know to see if it sticks and so i'm always excited to you know taste something 
that's not maybe one from the, the big boys or gals of the industry, but from some of these smaller people who are just, you know, giving it a whirl. So I've got one more question to ask you, Jenna, before we go Um, in, in California. And I know you're there. um, there, There's a lady there called Amy Bonner, Bonner, Amy Bonner um, from Alchemy Distillery. She's making whiskey every now and again from bagels. I've heard of this. You haven't tried it yet. I want to know if anyone's tried it. I have not tried it, um, but I have heard of that. Can I send you on a mission? (laughs) Yes. Well, I'll hunt down a bagel anytime. So bagel whiskey, you know, that's right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll send you on a mission and we can have you back here and we can tell us all about bagel whiskey. I love that. Look at this. We're, we're, We're all over the world talking through the internet. Whiskey, Scotch whiskey's often been described romantically as a you know, a spirit of place or a spirit that can take you traveling to that memory of that trip you took to Isla or, um, and it's so great. The world whiskey, as you just said, in Woodenville, whether it's going to the Northwestern United States or going to the Faroe Islands, whiskey can still take us everywhere more places than ever before. And I think that's ho- hopefully that's one of the morals of an episode like this is that we talk about if you've never had a whiskey from outside of Scotland or outside of America or outside of Canada or Japan or the traditional whiskey making countries of the world or Ireland, uh, do it, do it tomorrow, do it this evening. Yes. There's a big world out there. Get a passport and get fucking busy. All right, there's my summary. Dave? <laughs> I think that sums it up nicely. Yeah. Dom, any closing flickering in and out? You want to do a little last one, last strobe? All right. We've got we've got Dominic back. It's so good to see you all again. Dave, it must be about a year since we uh, had that lovely afternoon at the Scotch Mall. No, sorry, the... Um... Soho Whiskey Club. Yeah, just over a year ago, yeah. Yeah, and it seems so far away now. Just incredible. And Dr. Sam, it's been far, far too long. And I really look forward to catching up with you again and uh, and, and enjoying your wisdom. And, Jenna, it's a big, big privilege to meet you today. It's been lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you all for inviting me on. This is, this is quite the treat. <laughs> thank you very much for both of you for being here and talking about World Whiskey. That is another episode of Uncorked, the Whiskey Sessions. I've been Boutique Dave. And I've been Dr. Whiskey. That's the 14th episode. I didn't think we'd make it this far. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thank you very much to all of you. Cheers. Hey, everybody, can you hear my voice? Yes, a little loud, Sam. Ah, tough shit. You got no choice. Grab a glass and sit back in your chair Cause Uncorked is going live tonight